Hey, good morning. If you are in the room or you're joining us online or you're watching a little bit later, I'm Charlie. <coughs> Excuse me. Really glad you guys are all worshiping with us today. I've been in quarantine for the last two weeks, and um, so all, the lights here confuse me. People in the room confuse me. It's all, it's all very startling. I'll try to do my best to hang in here with you, but it's, it's, been, a, it's been a very disorienting uh, couple of weeks, but really glad to be um, here with all of you today as we are starting a new series. Uh, we're talking about relationships, and if you've been around for the last 10 years um, and you are gifted with pattern recognition, you'll know that there are a couple of series that essentially, no matter what, we'll figure out some way in that year to talk about, and those two things are money and um, relationships. And one of the big reasons for that is, you know, you, you, you live long enough, you're a pastor long enough, and you just begin to see and notice that there are just certain things that just seem to derail people the most. And you watch people with, with, with good hearts and good intentions, with a real desire to honor God with their life, and either something slowly undoes them or something suddenly undoes them. And if you're here with us today, again, either online or in person, we know that you're here really because you have this desire uh, to live a life uh, to honor God, to be the man or woman that God's called you to be. And um, we want to help you do that. And one of the ways that we can do that is to spend some time talking about these issues that, again, more than any others are the ones that are overwhelming people, which are wrecking people in their journey and their desire to pursue and follow God. But the interesting thing about both, both money and relationships, because they are, in fact, uh, the potential for the most destructive, they are also, at the same time, the most sensitive. And one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons why lots of times we'll just, we'll just avoid talking about it, because if we talk about money long enough, I'm going to say something that's just going to hit a little too close to home is going to upset you or hurt you or offend you in some way. And the same way, start talking about your, your family, your marriage, or, you know, and and some point, we did, you know, at some point over the course of these next few weeks, I'll give you the heads up, it's going to be in two Sundays, Valentine's Day. In two Sundays, we will talk about the most intimate part of marriage. And I will say some things that will feel very sensitive, very personal, and, and may even, even though obviously I'm not talking to you personally, it may feel like a very personal attack in what's going on in your life, what's going on in your marriage, in your family, in your home. But I've said this many times in different ways. If, if, if I am nervous or scared to talk about the things that are the most sensitive, that are the things that are most likely to derail you. If, if, I'm, if I'm scared to talk about them because it might hurt your feelings, I'm something, but I'm not, a, I'm not your pastor. And so I would hope that you would spend with us the next few weeks as we talk about this because Mark and I made a decision. We're just kind of talking about brainstorming what to talk about this year in our relationship series. And kind of with the idea of just kind of these most sensitive topics, made a decision that I was going to do is I was going to Google as my friend and I was going to look up all of these different lists from all these different places of what are, the, what are the top reasons that marriages and families fall apart. And I was just going to collect the five that seemed to be the most repeated, and we were going to spend some time over the next five weeks talking about those things. Because we're going to look here in a second at Genesis chapter 2, at kind of the, 
the creation, the invention of marriage, the origin story of marriage with God. And in there, we'll talk a bit about kind of really what the purpose of marriage is. And we'll see again here in just a second, it's this, it's this desire, it's this, it's, this, it's this connection, it's this intimacy, it's this personal, emotional, and physical, deep relational connection between a man and a woman. And there are so many things that are pulling against that. There are so many things that become, can become wedge issues between a husband and a wife that, that can become an issue where that intimacy is not possible or it's hindered. And so we're going to look at really what I believe to be and what, what seem to be the, the, the top five things that are pulling against them. We're not going to do them in necessarily any order, not that I even know that there is an order, um, but we're going to start with one where we talk today just a little bit about the way extended family and just family in general can kind of pull against a marriage. And we're going to do that one first because it also helps us set the table to understand really what the definition and purpose of a marriage is. So we're in Genesis chapter 2 today. <coughs> in Genesis chapter 2, uh, we've got the creation story and... For six days there, God is creating, and every time he creates something, he talks about how good it is. He creates the, the, the sun and the stars. Oh, and it was good. And he creates the earth, and it was good. And he creates animals, it was good. He creates plants, and it was good. Everything's good. God's he's talking about how everything's good. And you get to Genesis chapter 2, and he's looking at Adam, and Adam is all alone. And for the first time, God looks at his creation and says, something is not good. He says, this is not good that, that man is alone. We need to create a helper suitable for him. And so to kind of help Adam understand what's going on, he brings animals to him in pairs and sees that they all have, you know, this, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's two of them. There's the husband and the wife, right? The, the mama bear and the, and, and the daddy bear. And he kind of brings them through to kind of help him see this. And then ultimately God creates for him, uh, basically, out, with a rib out of Adam's body, creates um, his wife, creates Eve. And Adam, who has never seen a woman before, and again, we're going to touch on some sensitive things, and this is in this passage, so I know you're, some of you, your kids are in the room, and you know, sorry. You know, it, she's, she's, he's not wearing clothes, and, and she's not wearing clothes, and he's never seen a woman before, and, and he is appropriately excited about it. He's like, this is better than I ever imagined. This is incredible what God has done here. And he describes it this way in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 23. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And so, it, as God is creating this idea of marriage here, first of all, he just says, man, it's not good to, to be alone. You are, you are meant to have this partner. And he creates this partner and symbolically creates the partner from within Adam to kind of, again, to symbolize this intimacy and closeness that they are meant to be one thing. They are one flesh. And Adam describes it this way. This, this, she, is, she is part of me and I am part of her and we are to be connected. 
And then the narrator in Genesis 2 says, and, and, this, and this, this is the reason why the way marriage works, the way that it does, where a husband will leave his old family and cling, cleave, unite, be very close to his spouse. And then it describes their intimacy this way. It says that they were both naked and they felt no shame. They, they saw and were experiencing each other completely and fully and felt no guilt and no shame about it at all. And so we see here what marriage is intended to be, this relational, physical, intimate closeness where there is such connection and closeness that no matter how much I know about the other person, there is no shame, there is only unity and connection. And if I were to say to you, you know, as you think about your marriage or if you're single, you know, what you think about marriage or marriages that you've experienced or families that you know, and I said, would you say that that describes marriage, such overwhelming closeness that there is nothing that can make them feel shame, that there is nothing that can be a wedge between them at all? That's the ideal, but it's not reality. The reality of it is, is there's all sorts of reasons why we begin to experience shame with one another, why we do not have this intimate level, this intimate closeness with the other person. Again, physically, relationally, emotionally. There's all these things that are pulling against it to the point to where, again, the divorce and the ripping apart of families has become way, way too common. And so the one that we're going to look at again today is, is, is just the way that family pressure can do this. And we see this even in this passage, how important this idea of having the right perspective about your family of origin and your new family. Verse 24, he says, And this is why it, a man must leave his mother and father and be united to his wife. God has called to a, 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 in a marriage to a new, deep level of intimacy. And in order to achieve that, you have to leave one family and start another one. And so in marriage, you have this, this covenant, this, this deep, spiritual, intimate promise to say that this new person, I'm going to start this new family with them, and we are going to be united in this new family forever. And it is very important for us to understand this key principle. And we'll say it this way. That when you get married, your new family, your new family is your primary family. Your new family is your primary family. When you say, tell me about your family. What's your family like? Your thought needs to be the people that I am living in the house with right now. My spouse, my kids. That is my family. Of course, I have an extended family. Of course, I have a family of origin, but this, this is my family. My family, I, when you get married, you start a new family. And I used to do this subtly when I um, performed marriages, but it's not, even, it's not even subtle anymore. I just talk about it all the time, even in the welcome. Hey, just so glad you guys are all here. We're so excited. God is creating a new family today. This is, the, this is the beginning of a brand new family. Used to be a part of your family, and they used to be a part of your family, but now they're a brand new family. They're leaving your family and leaving your family, and now they're a new family. They're a new family. They're not in your family. They're not in your... And I just kind of keep kind of coming back and forth. It's good that they're 
the parents are sitting right here. Like I just got, I got, I got every bit of eye contact that I want with them, right? Hey, and, and you've done, and I try to butter them up a little bit, and you've done a great job. You've done a great job with your, with, with, I'm, I'm disoriented in the room, with your, with your son, with your son. You've done a great job with your son. You've done a great job with your daughter, and, and you've prepared them to leave your family and start a new family. There's even been times when I've asked the, the couple, I was like, how do you feel like your parents are doing with this? And if they say not good, it's like, well, I'm going to have them stand up and give their own vows. And they just, so they just make a pledge. They make a pledge. I'm going to let you go. We did that at our, we did that at our wedding. Um, where it's, just, it's just incredibly important. This is why a man leaves his father and mother. I mean, that's an emotional thing. It is an emotional thing for the parents involved to say that I'm going to completely and totally release my son. I'm going to completely and totally release my, my daughter. It is, it, is, it is difficult for the son or daughter often. And, and, and typically, there's going to be one parent in both sets of families that is going to struggle more, struggle a lot with, with this idea. And typically, at least one of the people in the marriage is going to do the same thing. And there's going to be this desire to, 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 to try to live in both worlds. And if we don't figure out how to kind of navigate this, it can be a long-term challenge in a marriage. And it's a long-term challenge, but it starts really, really quickly, actually. And depending on when you get married, you've got a few months. Let's say if you get married in June... You've got exactly five months to figure out Thanksgiving. And then you've got one month after that to figure out Christmas. And you've got to figure out, because it used to, it's just very normal. You know, I mean, when you're, when you're in high school, I, mean, I live at home, it's Christmas, Thanksgiving, I'm going to be wherever my parents are. If we go somewhere, we go together. If we, we, we're, I just follow them. And you go to college, and then you, you come home for Thanksgiving. You come home for Christmas. And whatever your family does, you do. And then one day, then it's just not like that anymore. Now you're married, and now you've got two different families with two completely different set of expectations where one or both of them are going to have to experience Thanksgiving or Christ and Christmas like they never have before. And suddenly, not everybody's going to be there when, when they're supposed to be and following all the traditions, and now you're breaking tradition. And, 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 and now here's the part where it gets, it gets dangerous for me. Because we're broadcasting on the internet, and almost every week, both my mom and my mother-in-law um, watch this. And so I, 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 don't, I don't know necessarily how to navigate this minefield. Eventually, I'm just going to get Facebook messages, and it's going to be awkward. But regardless, we felt this pressure from the very beginning to, to, to the degree to which that there were parents that were saying things like, now, I don't know what the other family thinks, but I just, I just can't even imagine having Christmas and you not being there in our home on Christmas Day. Yikes. I mean, these are the things that, we, that, that are said. And it's not just in our family, just, just even just this morning. I've had people come up to me, it's like, you don't have to use your family as an example, you use my family as an example. And we've done tons of marriage counseling. I, I, I could I tell you any number of people that this happens to. There's just this pressure. 
And, it's this, and, it's, and, and it, you think it's about Christmas, and you think it's about Thanksgiving, but what it is, it's this inability to say, I cannot completely and totally let you go. I need to know that you are still, your primary connection is with us, not with them. And you think, man, no parent would say that. Let me say this, no parent would mean to say that. But we've got to do a good job. If you, if you guys who like are in my age, who are approaching that point, you're older, you're already doing it, we need to do a good job of releasing people. And if you are married, you need to be, do a good job of leaving and making sure that your spouse understands that this new family is now my primary family. And holidays, it really is, I mean, it's, it's, it's just the beginning. Because there's just going to come, there's going to be this constant stress that comes with dealing with extended family. Because what's going to happen is, is there's going to come some point in which your spouse is hanging out, maybe it's during one of the holidays, or you're just in for a visit, and at one point it's going to click for them. And they're going to look around and be like, and they're going to come to you and be like, why does your dad do da-da-da-da-da, and then when he does this, it seems like this and this, and then you guys all respond this way, why do y'all do that? And you're going to be like, what are you even talking about? That's just the way families are. And they're like, that's how crazy families are. Normal families aren't like that. Like, what do you mean? And now we're fighting. And, and suddenly you've invited your spouse into your extended family crazy, but you don't understand really how crazy it is until you bring in an outsider and they're like, this is weird, and it doesn't, feel, it doesn't feel right. Something about this feels wrong. It feels like that they're trying to suck us into some game that I don't think I want to play. And you'd be like, why don't you want to play the game? I've been playing it my whole life. I'm actually pretty good at it. And like, and like no, we're not, we're not, we're not going to do this. And again, and now we're fighting. Because what happens is we begin to talk this way. Why are your parents like that? Why is your family like this? My family's not like that. Why is your family like this? Your family causes like your mom, your dad, your brother, your family. And what needs to happen, again, there is no your family. Your family is this family. And now we have extended family that we have to deal with. We have, we have, a, we have a set of parents. We have two sets of parents. Some of us may have three or four sets of parents that we have to deal with. And we are dealing with all of them. How are we going to deal with this pressure that seems to come? This, this emotional baggage that seems to come? This, this manipulation that seems to happen? How are we as a team going to deal with it? Because if, if you start attacking your spouse for the way their family is, now it's a wedge. Or... If you get defensive because your spouse happened to notice something about your family that indeed is 100% true, and you get upset with them for noticing something that's true about your family, and now you're mad. How dare you say that about my family? Again, now it's a wedge. We're all going to have challenges in our extended families. Every family has this. If I had some magical potion that I could give that would make suddenly now no one's extended family is going to be manipulative anymore. If I had that to give, I would give it. 
But, but that's, that's not possible. We are all this way. And it is going to be a challenge. But if we decide this is something that we are going to deal with together as we figure out how we are going to interact with our family, then even the challenge of it, the challenge of it is no longer a wedge, but it is something that we can allow ourselves to unite us as we figure out who we are going to be as a family. And this is something that I say all the time in the pre-marriage counseling that my wife and I do, where it's like, man, you're creating a new family and you are now deciding together, the two of you, how your family makes decisions. There's this other Lofton family out there and there's this Jones family out there and they make decisions the Lofton way and the Jones way, but now there's this different Lofton family. And the Lofton, this Lofton family makes decisions the way these Loftons do. And it is something that we do. And we take our experiences, but we together are a team. And we decide how we are going to tackle these issues that seem to come from extended family. And to say it another way, to kind of drive another point with it home, your new family is your primary family, and your spouse is your primary relationship. Not every potential wedge issue with your extended family has to do with them acting negatively towards you. Sometimes it just comes from the fact that we can't seem to shake the fact that I believe that my primary, best, most essential, most core relationship is with someone who's not my spouse. What you don't understand, you don't understand the way that I grew up, me and my mom. It was just... It was just me and my mom growing up, and my mom and I, we're best friends, and we're going to be best friends forever. And whoever it is I marry, or I marry, like, and whatever it is, I mean, you're going to have to figure out how you fit in to this relationship. Me and my mom, we're, it's, it's, we're, we're together. Well, me and my dad, my dad's my best friend. That's all I can say. My dad's my best, my best friend. My dad's my best friend. We do everything together. Um, he's, the, he's the person I'm going to go to the most for advice. He's the person that I'm looking to. He's the person that I, that I most love to spend time with. And my wife's just going to have to figure out how she can fit in with that. My brother, my sister, whoever. You, you, had, you had this core relationship that you would have said, this is where I put my primary energy. This is where I have the most closeness. And when you get married, you are making a conscious decision to give that up in exchange for a different core, most intimate relationship. You're obviously not kicking that person to the curb. You obviously still should and can have a very close relationship with them anymore. With them, you should. But now it's my spouse is my best friend. My spouse is my core relationship. And my extended family are going to figure out how they are going to adjust to this new reality. And that may bother you. That may feel like I am attacking some relationship that you have and you don't understand and there's no way <coughs> I could trans transition from primary intimacy from my, from my mom to my husband. You don't understand how awesome my mom is and you don't understand what's going on with my husband. There's no way. I, if, if I gave this up and tried to make this my primary relationship, I would struggle because this relationship 
just doesn't have what this one has. And the more you describe this to me, the more right I sound. It is because you have not invested deeply into the physical, emotional, and relational intimacy into this. And you have been continuing to put it all over here. This will never, a relationship that you do not give your primary attention to, will never be able to compete with one that you do. And there has to come this conscious decision to say that I'm going to have to change all of my relationships with my extended family in order to give my primary energy and love, devotion, and commitment to my spouse. And I know of people who have had very difficult relationships where they've had to <coughs> have very difficult conversations with parents where it's like, it seems to me that the way that you talk to me and the way that you're talking to me about my spouse is that you're trying to get me to choose them over you. I will never choose them over you. I have, to, I, I have chosen them. They are my new family now. I want to have a great relationship with you, but you cannot put me in a situation where I have to choose. And people are having to have these kinds of conversations. And sometimes it may be important for you. I may be saying all of this, and you're going like, I don't have that problem, I don't have that problem. And the person sitting next to you is like, I really hope he's listening to this. I really hope she hears this. And you may need to have a really difficult conversation in the next few days where one of you finally has the courage to say, what he was saying, I, f I feel that with you and your mom. I feel that with you and your brother. I need something to change. Because even as good as this relationship might be, if it is your primary, it is becoming a wedge between the most important relationship that you have, which is with your spouse. And to drive that point even further home, we'll say this. Your spouse is your primary relationship, and that's true after you have kids as well. There does not come a point where your kid gets to take that spot, where your kid is now more important in your relationship than your relationship with your husband, than your relationship with your wife. Your spouse is not a vehicle for you to become a mom, not a vehicle for you to finally become a dad and have that son and play baseball with. That, that they, 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 are not, they, they, they were not the, the entryway for you to finally have the relationship with you wanted, which is a special bond between a mom and her son, a mom and her daughter, a dad and his daughter, a dad and his son. It's none of that. That relationship between the family is still primary. You are not a mom first. You are not a dad first. It's just not true. Now, there are going to be seasons, and these seasons happen at least, I mean, we're 20-plus we're years into parenting, and these seasons still pop up. There's going to be seasons in which your children are the most needy ones, and they need a certain amount of attention, focused attention for a season. But just because they're the most needy at a particular time is not the same as that it is your most important intimate relationship. Your spouse is. And even if there's a part of you who's like, no, nah, I mean, my husband, he's fine. He's an adult. My kid needs me. Really what you're saying is you need them, but that's, 
we're not we're not here. I'm not a psychologist. But even if, even if what was most important in the world, if you could convince me, which you can, even if you could convince me that your relationship with your kids are the most important one, let me give you this piece of advice. The best thing that you can do for your kid is to model and demonstrate for them a deep, connected, intimate relationship with their dad, with their mom. That is the stability that they need more than anything. So communicate that to them. Leave them. Go, go have a date night. Have lots of date nights. Have a date weekend. Leave them with somebody. I'm not going to say anybody, just, but maybe just anybody. I mean, <clears throat> oh, no, I could never, I could never, I could never. Yes, you can, and you need to, and it is essential it is essential to keeping that relationship primary because that relationship is going to be the one that fuels you in your parenting relationship, which is primarily a take-only relationship. And your relationship with your spouse has to become the fuel for that. And there can never be a season, no matter what age your kids are, no matter how many kids you have, it can never be a time where your relationship with your spouse is not the most important one. Where I am giving my primary physical, emotional, and relational energy. And again, my guess is, is that the people who need to hear that the most didn't hear me say it just now. They heard me say something. They didn't and again, it is going to have to be a courageous conversation that happens later where the person who did hear it and says, looks at their spouse and says, I think he was talking about you. You seem to be like, you think that you're a mom first and I feel like I get lost and I only get the leftovers of what you have after you've done what matters most to you, which is parent. Now, that is not going to be a pleasant conversation. Hey, it's your relationship with your mom. Hey, it's your relationship with our kids. And I feel like these things are taking away from this. No one's going to want to have that conversation. No one really wants to look at the core of the reason why our intimacy and in our marriages is struggling. And so we just let these things keep going. We let the dysfunction of extended family keep going. We let an, an, an unhealthy relationship with someone in our extended family continue. We let an unhealthy relationship with a kid continue. We let these things continue to go on. We just don't have the courage to face it and say, there's something wrong with our intimacy and we need to build it. And what I'm asking you to do today and over the next four weeks is let's have the courage Let's have the courage to face head on the things that are pulling apart at our intimacy, that are really keeping our relationships from being the core, the core intimate relationships that they have to be, where we can both literally and metaphorically stand completely naked and vulnerable in front of our spouses and feel no shame, just intimacy and connection. Because if we are going to be the men, the women, 
the families, the church that God has called us to be, to make a difference in this world, to bring hope and life to this world, we are going to have to be deeply connected and intimate with our spouses and our strength will come from that relationship. And let's not let anything good, bad, or otherwise be a divider 